Y'all ready? That's something to be excited about. Man, we're excited. Uh, uh, welcome this morning. I think we got a few first-time guests here this morning. Let's celebrate them, too. Welcome to church. And, uh, man, if you don't know about the 1-8 Project, so basically a video explained it, but, but man, we had three objectives. Uh, we wanted to raise a million dollars in three years, and our objectives was to plant a church in Athens, Georgia, and we did that, and we wanted to uh, purchase land for our future facility, and we did that. And so our next step is to break ground. And, man, here we are. It's reaching distance, you know, and it's exciting. You see all those pictures and the story of life change. And we believe the best is yet to come. We believe that. And we're excited for this to be a launching pad to reach many more people. And so uh, be praying August 21st, uh, man, we're $70,000. And we believe, hey, we serve a big God. And, man, we're excited to see what he's going to do. And so just be praying about that that God would move in, in a big way. And so also, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, if you got your Bibles, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting a new series today, Life is Better Together. And that's what we believe. We believe God saved us out of sin into a family, and he wants us to do life together. And so, man, we're excited about this series. Uh, let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll dive into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we just thank you for our time together. God, thank you for your son, and uh, God, that you purchased salvation for your people, uh, the church, and God, you love the church, and you love the local church, and so as we gather this morning, God, I pray you would stir us up, and God, that we bring you glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Jesus was telling a parable, and here's the parable that he told. He said, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is like this, that a man uh, found treasure hidden in a field, and when he found that treasure, he sold everything he had, took that money, bought that field, and his point is this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than anything that you have in your life right now. He's better than any sin that you could possibly be holding on to, better than anything that this world can offer you. And as we dive into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, he wants them to know Jesus is better. And he's better than anything in the Old Testament is, is what, what pointed to Jesus. And he starts in verse 1, and he wants them to know that Jesus is a better sacrifice. That the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, they made sacrifices in the Old Testament for forgiveness of sin. That pointed to Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 1. The law is only a shadow. It's just a shadow of the good things that are coming, not realities themselves. And it could never, by the same sacrifices, make perfect those drawn near to worship. They're just a shadow that pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would not feel guilty for their sins any longer. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. They never took away sin, they just reminded them of their sin. When, when, Jesus, when God gave the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments don't save anybody, they show us we need saving because we get a zero on that test. And every year when they made sacrifices, it didn't cover their sins. It pointed to a future Savior that would. And that's what he's saying. 
And then he says in verse four, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And I would just say this, it's impossible for anything but the blood of Jesus to take away your sin. It's impossible for any, anything other than faith in Christ and what he did on that cross for you to take away your sin. Therefore, verse five, Christ came into the world and this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Woo, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you're not pleased, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I've come to do the Father's will, your will, my God. First, he, Jesus, says, sacrifice offerings and offerings of sin offerings you did not desire. You weren't pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance of your law. Then Jesus said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. The first pointed to Jesus. And by that will, what will? The Father's will, that he would send his son, die for a group of people, gather them together for his glory. That will, and by that will, we've been made holy. How are we made holy? Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The byproduct of Jesus being sacrificed is forgiveness forever for everyone who puts faith in Christ. He's not just a better sacrifice. He's a better sacrifice because he don't just cover your sin for a year. He covers it forever. And he's not just a better sacrifice. He's a better high priest. Well, what did the high priest do? Day after day, every priest would stand day after day and perform religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin, never. But when this high priest, Jesus, offered one time a sacrifice for sins, he sat down. High priest, priest didn't sit down sacrificing day after day after day after day. But what did Jesus say on the cross? It is, and sat down. One sacrifice for all who put faith in him. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. Verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And high priest may sacrifice every day, but Jesus, one, says it is finished. And who better to represent me before God than God himself, who stood in the gap for us and sacrificed for us his own blood, Emmanuel's veins. Not only is he a better sacrifice, not only was he a better high priest, he offers a better covenant, the covenant of grace. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit testifies about this. This is the covenant I'm gonna make with my people. I'm gonna put my laws on their hearts and I'm gonna put it in their minds. And the Holy Spirit does this. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Gone, bye. He does away with them. I've heard people say, well, hey, I can forgive them, but I just can't forget it. Well, God, Jesus forgives and forgets. Isaiah 38, 17, he puts my sin behind his back. Just 
Can't, can't even see it. Everywhere he turns, it's just gone, eradicated, gone. That's what Jesus does. And where 18, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sins no longer necessary. The only thing necessary is for you to do something with Jesus. That's the only thing that's necessary. And then he says in 21, excuse me, 19, here's what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for, through us, through the curtain, which was his body. And in the Holy of Holies, there's a curtain. And you can't go behind that curtain and kill you. God can't be around sin. But on that cross, Jesus says, I'm the new curtain. And through me, you can be in the presence of God because through me, my blood's on your heart and God don't see you in your sin. He sees you in his son. You have confidence. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart, full assurance, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, washed by pure water. Let us hold fast to the hope we profess, because he who promised is faithful. And I just want to say this, he is faithful. And he was faithful to Adam and Eve. And he was faithful to Noah. And he was faithful to Moses. And he's faithful to David. And he's faithful to the 12 disciples. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to you. And he's faithful to me. In the beginning was God. And he came and put on flesh and dwelt among us. And he who knew no sin became my sin and was sacrificed on my behalf. And all the high priests can go home now. Bye. I don't need a pope, don't need a priest. I've got Jesus who represents me to the Father. And then, not only is Jesus better, but then he shows us that life is better together. And what I want us to see is what Jesus did and these promises that we have, they weren't just for you and just for me. They're for his church. They're for his family. I lay down my life for the sheep, and we are a part of that. And this is what he says in 24, let us consider how we spur one another on towards good love. Let's consider one another. Not giving up meeting together, as some people do, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I just wanna say this, if the sacrifice of Christ and the Holy Spirit in you and God's heart for his people don't drive you to want to do life with his people. A sermon I preach never could and nothing else. But this is what he's done for his church. And I want to, I got one question, one point, and it's this. Why is life better together? Why? And A, B, C, and D, and I want to answer that question. Why is life better together? Well, first, it's because A, what we have in Christ what we have in Christ. And what would change about your life if you believed this? These things I'm about to tell you, what would change if you saw what you have in Jesus? And the first he shows us is we have a great high priest. This is the work of the priest. We have a great priest over the house of God. And theologically, the priest made atonement on behalf of God's people. And so people grab their sacrifices and they drag them up to the high priest 
and they take their hands and they lay it on that sacrifice, a picture of their sin going on them, the sacrifice. And then that high priest takes that sacrifice and bloodshed and kills it, takes that blood and sprinkles it on the mercy seat. Then they get another goat and put their hands on that goat and let it wilderness a picture that is carrying away your sin forever. But that's a shadow of Jesus. Hebrews shows up and says, Jesus says, yeah, I'm all that. I'm all of that. I'm all of that. I am the sacrifice. I am the spotless lamb. And by the way, on that cross, I bared your sin. It's not that he died on a cross. Thieves do that. Peter did that. It's that he died in your place. And your sin went on him. And that's what Jesus says, I am that. And then my blood is the mercy seat. Come sit down with me. And then he says, I take your sin from the east to the west. I am the escape goat. And by the way, I'm the high priest too. I'm all of that. And that's what he does. That's what we have. And then, man, personally, what better person to represent me before God than God himself? And I'm telling you, I don't mean to sound cocky, but Jesus ain't ashamed to call me brother. I don't mean to say, he ain't ashamed to call me friend. And what's, what's he say? He says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. And this is the work of God for the people of God, not just me and not just you. And practically, man, to be a part of God is to be a part of God's family. It's to be a part of the Israelites. God did not split the sea open for the Israelites and you be a part of God but not go through with his family. Like nobody's on the other side of the sea. Bye! I'm going to get saved right here. No, you're not. You're about to die. Like you want to be a part of God, you're a part of the family. This is a family thing. And to be a part of God is to be a part of his family. Not just that, but he gives us eternal forgiveness. Verse 14 and 17. 14. By one sacrifice. By Jesus' sacrifice made perfect forever those who are being saved. By sacrifice, it's not that we are perfect, we are in his eyes, we're growing in sanctification, but by his blood, he purchased some people. And what I want you to, what I want to get you to see is this, that there's no blood wasted. When Jesus died on a cross, he bought your soul if you're a Christian. He paid the price. And what gets me even more fired up is this. Ephesians says that before the foundation of the world was ever laid, I was chosen in Christ. When did I get saved? I got saved in the Father's eyes before he ever created the world. I got saved in Jesus' eyes when he hung on a cross and bought my soul. I was saved in the Spirit's eyes when he saved me in 20, whatever, 20, uh, 2004. That's the process, and that's why I wanted to, and there ain't no more reformed doctrine than that that makes me want to run like a Pentecostal. Get my Nikes on and start going. Just start stretching, just ready to go. That should comfort you and fire you up. Man, that, that's what he's done, and it's forever, and nothing gives me more joy, and nothing gives me more humility in community. Who am I? What did I do to earn salvation? Who am I? I'm a wretched sinner saved by the grace of God. And when I get around my church family and my community, it's amazing because I'm like, man, 
This is what God's done, and it makes me love them the way God loved me. And there's a guy in my connect group, his name's Art. Art and Ashley, they serve here on the blue team. They're awesome people, but we used to get together and we'd go around in a circle and share like our favorite scriptures that week. Man, what are you, what's God teaching you? Every time it got to Art, he would always find that one verse about salvation. And every time, I loved it, bro. I could not wait to hear him say something about it. He'd be like, man, I'm just, I'm just glad I'm saved. Like, man, I'm just I'm glad I'm here. And man, that, that fired me up. And I'm like, man, me too. I still can't believe God saved me. And man, it, his uh, passion, man, went on to me and it just it changes everything. It also gives us confidence to enter his presence. Verse 19, because of what Christ has done, saints, you got confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And theologically, only the high priest could go near the holy of holies. Only the high priest but the curtain's been torn. The curtain is Christ's flesh. And through Jesus, we have confidence to enter his presence. I can approach him by myself through Christ. This is what he's offered me. He doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me in his son. And now this can be experienced personally. And it's other people's personal relationship that always fires me up the most. Especially if I'm in connect group, there's one guy, Mr. Bill, and he, come to, he comes to my connect group, and here's one thing he'd always say. He, when it got to him, he would say, man, the Lord's been dealing with me. And I'm like, what, what? I want to know. I want to know. What's he been dealing with you about? And if you ain't saved, you can't, you can't use that language. You can't say that. But it reminds me, stirs me up, God can speak to me personally. Man, God can speak to me. And that's what we have. We have this confidence. Also, he gives us inward transformation. This is the work of the Spirit. Verse 16, this is the covenant I'll make. I'll put my laws on their hearts and on their minds. And theologically, what God is saying, I'm just not going to write laws on stone tablets. I'm going to knock the stone off their hearts and write it on their hearts. And it gives me encouragement because I know God ain't done with me. He's still transforming me into the person that he died for me to become his son. And he's not done with me. And watch this. He ain't done with you. And that's why I love community because I see God working in other people and shaping them and changing them and transforming their life. And, and through them, God starts to do the same in my life. And, he, and we have his indwelling presence. Indwelling presence. The Holy of Holies in the temple housed the glory of God. Think about the sun. The sun ain't bad. You get too close, you're going to get burnt. And, and think about God's glory, his presence in the Holy of Holies that housed it. And man, you couldn't get too close to that. Now, you want to know what's awesome? You do. Watch this. He, he takes his glory, wraps flesh around it, Sticks it in a manger, names him Jesus. And you want to know what else is awesome? Then he takes his spirit and puts it in you. And now the presence of God indwells us believers. It's in us. I am God's home. He dwells in me. He abides in 
me, and now this is why God lives in people, and this is why God says love one another, forgive one another, confess to one another, do life to one another, because he don't just live in you, he lives in your brother and sister, and that'll change how you talk about your brother and sister. You better be careful talking about a child of God. Anyway, that's a rant, but, but man, this is, man, there's no lone wolves. That's not even an option. Like, man, 1 John 4, 20, whoever claims to love God but hates his brother's a liar. And that word hate ain't what you think it means. It means just not being present, not loving them, not walking with them. But man, you do life together. And he gives us full assurance, verse 22. He says, we have full assurance having our hearts sprinkled by his blood. And theologically, God's wrath was thrown on Jesus. Look at me, what wrath? What wrath? He don't owe me no wrath. Now he did, but he don't now because I'm in Jesus. And on that cross, Jesus took my wrath that I deserve. But now blood's on my heart because I did something with Jesus. If you don't do something with Jesus, his blood ain't on your heart, his blood's on your hands. And you might wanna do something with that. And you might wanna take care of that, but that's what happened on the cross, is he took my wrath. Man, what wrath? I don't have to worry. Man, I, everything has changed. Who can, if God is for me, who can be against me? That him, that good old him, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased by God, born of his spirit, washed in the blood, and now I have assurance because the Father sees me in the Son. Now, uh, Jolie will have some girls come over, spend the night sometimes, and, and praise God for that. And they'll come over, and one girl comes to my mind in particularly, but when she wants something, she's not confident to ask me. So she asked Sissy, my little girl, to ask me for her. And so it goes something like this. It, hey, can you ask your dad if I can get a snack? And then Jolie will come up to me and say, hey, daddy, man, can, can we have a snack? And I'll spank her and then send her up to her room. I'm just playing, I don't do that. But, I, 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 but, but watch this, watch this. This girl's in my house. And why would I not see my daughter's friend through the lens of my daughter? She's my daughter. She's in my house. You come to my house and you're my kids' friends, I'm going to treat you like you're my own kids. But that, now she has the confidence through Jolie to approach me. That's what we have in Jesus, but all the more. That man, that Jesus is sitting beside the Father, interceding for his people. And now when God looks at me, he sees me through Christ. I have all the confidence in the world. I have all the assurance in the world. And here's what I want you to see. Part of drawing near to God is doing life with other believers. And these truths may mark your life and they may mark my life, but this is an inheritance. And you're not the only one that inherited it. The church has. This is about his church. And so be not only what we have in Christ, but be what we have in common. Why is life better together? Because of what we have in Christ, but also what we have in common. Verse 24 says, 
in light of all that Jesus has done for your life, in light of what he did, you consider one another and you hold on to the hope that we profess. What, what hope? Gospel fellowship, koinonia, partnership in the gospel. Hebrews says, hey, you wanna persevere in your faith? You remember the gospel and you do life together. You do those two things and you'll persevere in your faith. And I'm telling you, man, it's, it's what we have in common. All communities built on uh, co common passions. And I was a student pastor, I know this. If you go back to high school, you know this. And what I've seen is, man, the athletes hang out with the athletes. That's just their crew, man. It's what they do. And the band nerds hang out with the band nerds. There ain't nothing wrong with that, man. I played, I was in the band. When I was in the band, I couldn't read music. I just played what was on my heart. I played the bass drum, just boom, 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 just doing my thing. But we had our people that we, we hung out with. And man, then, then you have, man, you have the uh, smart group of people that hang out here. You have even, even Gothics traveling packs of 10. Man, everywhere you go, there's, you, you may sit in your room on your Xbox, but you're playing online with somebody else. Everything you do is in community. But, but biblically, gospel community, we have something in common that blows everything, our differences out of the water. Man, we have something in the gospel that nobody else has, and I've experienced it in my connect groups. When we first got started, man, the first two years of our connect group, we were the wildest looking people on the planet. I mean, I would be in my house thinking, why are these people here? Like we had, we had, there was a time, a season where, man, long, long ago we had a few black people, a few Hispanic people. We had, we had one guy that he had perfect attendance probably in Sunday school growing up, but then we had another guy who like just got out of jail. I'm not lying, man. This is the dead honest truth. There's one guy just got out of prison, wanted to join a connect group. I was like, brother, you're in the right place, bro. Come on. And he, he shows up at my house. We're in, we're in there doing community together, and he starts sharing his heart, opening up. He's like, yeah, man, like, I, I'm banned from Vidalia. Like, I'm not even supposed to be in the city. It's like, oh, my God. He, he took, he was taking the dirt roads to get to, I'm not lying, took the dirt road to get to my house. I'm in there reading the Bible. I'm like, hashtag illegal, hashtag like SWAT team, like I'm reading the Bible, I'm waiting for like the SWAT team helicopter to land in my front yard. Come out with your hands up. Oh my God, we're just trying to read the Bible here. That's, that's, but, but I'm telling you. But, but watch this, all jokes aside, most encouraging group I ever had. Most encouraging group I ever had because there was one thing that brought us together, Jesus Christ. That was it. And that outweighed all of our differences. And this is the testimony of the church. Acts 2.42 says they had everything in common. They didn't have everything in common. They just had more in common in Jesus than any other difference they had in their life. And what we have in common is, one, we got the same sin. Sin is sin, man. Sin is sin. The root's the root. The fruit might look different, but the root's the root. And I'm telling you, Psalm, that's why it says in Psalms 51.5, in my mother's, when she birthed me, I was birthed in sin. We all are born in sin. But we got the same Savior. In the Old Testament, a Savior's coming, a Savior's coming, a Savior's coming, just sacrificing lambs, sacrificing lambs, sacrificing lambs. And in the New Testament, what does John say? Behold the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. That's what this is. 
That's what they pointed to, Jesus. And man, First Peter says, you're the people of God now. Man, you were not a people, but now you are a people. You had not had mercy, now you have received mercy, and that's changed everything. Because primarily, you're a Christian. Like, I'm a waitress at a Hispanic restaurant, a master restaurant, but you're a Christian. Yeah, bro, but I'm a plumber, I swing a hammer. You're a Christian. That's what you are first, and you're born again into the blood of Jesus, into his family. This is a family talk, and you have new community, new identity, and we have the same story. Got the same story. So, Blake, you don't know me, bro. I ain't got to know you, bro. Watch this. Here's what I know. I know there's one Savior. I know there's one sacrifice. And I know there's one salvation, death to life. And that, that's what I know. And so our, some of your stories in here, I got saved when I was nine. And I'm like, man, that's an awesome story, by the way. But then some of our stories like, I got saved in jail. But your story is you went from death to life. Some of us in here might have been more lost in our badness. We're like the prodigal son. We said, God, screw you. I want all your stuff, but I don't want you. Give me your sex, your wine, your food. Give me everything you got. Family, marriage, everything you created. Give it to me. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And that's how you lived your life. That was me. That's what I did. I just rode out, did what I wanted to do. And then some of us might be like the older brother. It's like, man, look at them. He done went and took all, took all his father's stuff. They're bad. They're bad. They're bad. I'm like, bro, you're bad. You're bad. I'll say it. I've said it. I'll say it again. Some people are saved out of the strip club. Some people are saved out of Sunday school. Both need saving. Some are saved out of irreligion. Some are saved out of religion, but both need saving. Matter of fact, if you think you're all that in a bag of chips, you better be careful because you can't see your own need of Jesus. At least a crackhead can. And we, we, we have the same spirit. The presence of God doesn't live in buildings or arcs or temples. He dwells in believers. You're his home. And we have the same mission. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And then in Acts, it says, continue what he first began. And the ministry of reconciliation is this. You are redeemed to be on the rescue team. And God has always rescued other people through redeemed people. And when we live together in community, it shows us life's not about me. And it shows us, man, I want to live on mission the way these people are living on mission. Why is life better together? Because of what we have in Christ. Because of what we have in common. But not just that. See, what we have in community. There's something that community offers you that isolation never can. There's something that community offers you that nothing else will. That's why he says in verse 24, spur up, up one another to live and to walk in the gospel. There's power in community. It gives us a place to grow deeper spiritually. Christian life's a community project, man. Paul David Tripp, it's a community project. It's doing life together. It gives us something isolation can't. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. Matthew 8, 20, where two or three are gathered, I'm there with them. It gives us real accountability. You better get some people in your life that care more about your soul than your opinion. 
I got some men in my life straight call me out. And I tell them to, you see me doing something dumb, you call me out. You set me straight. And you need that. We need real Christian accountability, brothers and sisters that love you enough to, to help you and call you out. Because listen, man, it's easy to, to fake a relationship with Jesus in the crowds. That's easy. But when you get down in the few with some people that got a real relationship with God, you can't fake that no more. That becomes real, man. And, and I'm telling you, I'm tired of fake. I'm tired of fake. I'm tired of just acting like everything's okay, going to church, checking it off. Man, I want to I see some real faith. I want to see some real people that have a real relationship with God that really live it all throughout the week. And that's what community brings us. It gives us deeper discipleship. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes growth don't happen in a crowd. It happens in a huddle. Even Jesus, he preached to the crowds. But then he'd get his 12 disciples and be like, hey, man, here's what I was really talking about when I said that parable. Like, here's what that means. And, and he broke it down for them. And that's what community does. It helps us break down the truths of God. It's doing life together. It gives us spiritual leaders to look to. Because a lot of times growth as a Christian is caught more than taught. It's an experience. Because you got real everyday people really living for God. And they might not be perfect. But they love God, they love people, and they make disciples. And you start to see that, and that's real. And that's contagious. It starts to rub on you. And we have spirit-filled Christians to do life with. And everybody's doing life with somebody. You, buy, you just need to check your circle, man. You need to check it. And you better make sure you got some Christian brothers and sisters and some people that you can do life with. It's in those circles I've grown the most and I've been loved the best. In those circles. And, and the Word of God is discussed communally. To gather among people. Hebrews 4.12 is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And that comes to life in connect groups and community. Because I'm sitting there, and, and I'm going to be straight with you. I can study the Bible. Now, I'm pretty dumb, but I can, I, can I can watch enough sermons. I can read enough books. I can study my sermon, my commentary. I can put together a sermon and preach it. But when I get up in community, the Bible can't be a textbook no more. It better be changing my life. And I start seeing other people who are like, man, yeah, this is, this God's really speaking to me, and this is changing my life. And man, I start to see the Word of God grow in the people of God, and it challenges me in a way that writing a sermon never could. It gives me a place to be cared for unconditionally, a place to be fully known. And Matt Chandler says to be 99% known is to be unknown. What's the 1% in your life? Man, where, where are you not known? And that's what community brings. It gives us a place, man, where we can be honest, a place where you can be real, and that's risky. It's risky. Man, what if they really find out about who I am? Hey, what if, they, what if I really tell them what I'm struggling with that nobody else knows? That's risky, but that's freeing because there is nothing freer than living free. And you watch this, ain't nothing, can't nobody uncover anything about me that the blood of Jesus don't cover for me. I ain't got no secrets. I, but Blake, man, they told me, man, they told me you were really struggling with this. Yeah, dog, I am, I am. 
That ain't nothing for you. And not only does it free you, it frees other people because then other people, and stop being selfish, then other people are like, dang, I thought I was the only one that struggled with that. I thought I was the only one that was going through some marriage problems. Man, I thought I was the only one. And then they see, man, they're not, and you get to encourage and pray for one another and confess to one another, and it changes everything. You get to see that you're not alone. And it gives you, uh, listen, a place to experience the love of God. Fully known, fully loved. In my sin, Christ died for me. And that's what I get around real Christians and real brothers and real sisters. I'm fully known, yet I'm fully loved. And it gives me a family for when the hardships come. Who's going to be in your circle when things blow up? Who's going to be in your circle when your life gets flipped upside down? Because Billy can't care for 500 people. And Billy's wife can't be every girl's best friend. Who's going to be in your circle? Man, when your life just gets flipped upside down. I tell people, man, if you ain't in community and you ain't taking any steps to, to be a part of God's family, don't call me complaining that you didn't get cared for. I'm dead serious. I was at, I was at a, my girl's birthday party yesterday. I've got two or three calls, people in the hospital. I got an old relative in the hospital, and I'm trying to get here, get there, do this. I can barely, even Billy, he can barely get his kids in bed on time sometimes. It's tough, man. Because you got to be around some people that can care for you and be with you and know you and love you. And that's what it gives us. It gives us encouragement to live on mission boldly. It reminds us that life's not about us. And it helps us with selfishness. Because people are messy, man. Jacked up, man. Some of y'all are rough, bro. I'm serious. You ever start talking to somebody and start feeling better about yourself? They start talking to you, my God. I thought I had problems. But man, it's, it's messy. It reminds me of James. James says, man, why are you waging war against each other? Is it not your passions that burn within you? You want this. Well, you want this. And they want that. And y'all can't agree. But when you get in community, you got to learn to agree. And you got to learn to love each other the way Christ loved you. And man, it helps you deal with that and gives you a launching pad to really live on mission. It was four men that carried a paralytic to the feet of Jesus. Four. Took four of them. A little small group. And then when I get around other people and I see them living life on mission for God, it helps me want to live on mission for God too. And so lastly, D, don't forsake the gathering. Here's what he says. He says it in verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as the habit of some. There are some people that's in the habit of just rolling out. And he says, man, don't do that. And what I love about this verse is this really not good advice, Is God's command. And I love that. He says, Jesus says, don't roll out on my family. Jesus says, hey, don't you do life with me and not my bride. You can't love me and not my wife. Blake, man, enjoy the sermon, bro. Come, we're going to take you out to eat after church. Come eat with us. Tell your wife not to come. It's like, click. Like, I ain't coming. I mean, I'm telling you, you, you can't be, you can't do life with Christ and not his bride. I'm telling you. I mean, it's a, it makes no sense. Why do you got to go to church to be a Christian? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm serious. 
I don't got to be a part of the family to be a part of the family. No, you do. You do. Well, they're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a hypocrite. It's the most self-righteous, prideful thing I've ever heard. I'm not going to church because I'm jacked up. Oh, you think you're perfect? Oh, you know what I mean? It's like, no, nah, that ain't how it rolls. But you remember this. Let this stick in. The 12 disciples didn't punt on Jesus because of Judas. And man, we might be a messy family, but we're a family. And the gospel leaves no room for anything else. Listen, don't forsake a family Jesus died for. And the opposite of forsaking something is engaging something. Run to it. Engage. If I had to put this sermon in one picture, here's the picture I would, I would, I would paint right here. This is God's umbrella. All right, that's God. And God died on a cross. And God died for his church. And then there's you. And if you want a part of God, you go through the cross. And you ain't getting to the cross without going through it with a bunch of other people too. This ain't just about me or just about you. This is saying, look what Christ has done and look who he's done it for. That's why the church in Acts pulled up a chair, broke the bread and wine out. And they had communion and they fellowshiped together and they said, look what Christ has done. We're his people now. He's ransomed us. We're in the family of God, the, the, the family of faith, the family of Abraham. This is what we belong to. This is why Jesus said, these are my brothers and sisters, because he died for it. And he pulls out a chair at the family table and invites you to sit at it. That's crazy. I want to share a quote from Andrew, our worship pastor, he said this at the office. He said, why would God create room for you at the table and you not sit at it? Like, why? In heaven right now, this long family table with an open chair. And why would you not sit at that table? The family table. It's a kingdom family. It's the family table. It's the table of grace. This is why 1 John says, fellowship with us that our joy will be made complete because real life change happens in community. It's where we fellowship with Christ. It's where we fellowship with one another. It's where we grow spiritually and take ground and shake the world and glorify God. And what I want to do is I want to invite you into this. Man, come with us. This is where we're going. We're doing life together. And I want to invite you into this. And so my first question is like, man, are you a part of the family? AKA, are you saved? Christ was sacrificed for your sin and pulls out a, ta a chair and says, come sit. Yeah, God, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, I died for that. Yeah, but you just don't know where I've been. Yeah, but I went to the cross for you. Oh, but man, I'm telling you, man, my marriage is a wreck, man. I, man I've been divorced. Oh, man, I, I've struggled with porn, man. I, you just don't understand. I, I crushed my son for you. And the only way in is through Christ. And I would tell you, either blood's on your heart or blood's on your hands. You don't want to show up 
when, they get, when God's wrath is poured out on his son for you to go free. Don't ignore that. And so let's close our eyes real quick. If you're in here and you say, Blake, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna put my life, my faith in what he did on the cross for me right now with all eyes closed. Will you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Keep them up, I see you. God, we love you. And I thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you for salvation, that you died on a cross to make this a reality. And for those that just raised their hand, God, I pray, God, that you would show them that you love them and they can step into what you died for. In Christ's name we pray.